and welcome to GEC Important Talks. This is a podcast series presented by the team at Global Education Connection, a nonprofit organization dedicated to providing children who are affected by conflict or natural disaster with materials like like with things like educational materials and art supplies. As a part of this podcast, we want to talk about important topics related to children, their education, and their human rights. Of course, neither of us is an expert on these topics. We speak only to our knowledge, personal experience, perspectives, and opinions, but there are many credible online sources for further information. Today, we have myself, Catherine Soderbeck, and Carter Beck as your hosts. And today, we're going to be discussing um, Biden's address at the UN General Assembly this past week. He did it on, I believe, September 19th, so just a couple days ago as of this recording, of course. Um, If you guys are interested in reading it, there is a transcript posted to the White House um, website. I will link it in the description below, along with uh, a recording of it, which was posted on the UN website, I believe. Um, I actually really, really enjoyed this speech. Um, I did watch it. Um, I didn't just read the transcript, but I thought Biden, of course, is like, he's been in the game for ages. He's really good at speaking and getting your attention and keeping your attention. And of course, part of that um, obviously gives credit to his writers. Um, I think they did a really good job with the speech. I think it flows really well and he touches on a, a lot of really important points. Um, and something that like I just noticed was his repetition of certain um, like letters when speaking. Um, like if he was talking about perseverance, then he would also follow it up with another P word, like meaning um, like the antithesis of that, which I thought was like a really clever way um, in speech writing, particularly um, to kind of keep your attention and also to draw specific attention to those words. Um, what did you think of just like the speech in general? I thought it was a very good, like you said, it was a very well-written speech. Um, and I, I think he did a very good job in delivering it. The, the content was there. And if anything, I think it was reaffirming the United States commitment to the, the overall prosperity of, of the world. Um, cause with the previous administration, we saw a little bit of a pullback. Um, we saw there was, a the, pre- the previous uh, U.S. administration, they pulled out of, I think, UNESCO. Um, and then there was also a, a lot of grumbling about why are we contributing to all these other programs. And if anything, with this speech with Biden, it was reaffirming our commitment, saying that we don't just care about ourselves, but we also care about our neighbors. We, ter- we care about our whole neighborhood. We care about our whole community. And when I say community, I mean the world. And so if, if, if anything, I, I really appreciated that aspect of it. Yeah. And he actually mentioned that the U S just rejoined UNESCO in his speech, mm-hmm. uh, which I yep. thought was a really important point to make that because the previous administration pulled out of UNESCO, the world health organization, the Paris mm-hmm. Accords, even though he didn't specifically mention the last two examples I just gave, we have recommitted to those things and our, going to keep our commitments to the global community moving forward. I thought that was a really, really important element to his speech. Um, I actually, I thought it was really important how he opened it with a story about him going to Vietnam, a country that we were engaged in conflict with for Mm -hmm. years. Like the the span of the Vietnam War lasted six six presidents. Um, You know, countless Americans died there. Six presidents, yeah. Oh my gosh, wow. Countless Vietnamese 
people died. Uh, we spent billions of billions, if not trillions of dollars there. Um, so to have him open with the story of going there, of this kind of reconciliation between um, the American and the Vietnamese soldiers who were interacting, that he got to be there with them as they interacted, I thought was really, really important. And how he kind of followed that up with um, saying, like, you know, just because we've had, like, our past doesn't define our future. The global community, despite whatever hardships were in the past, can come together to address these important issues that we now face as a world, as um, the human race, literally. Um, so I thought it was really, really um, important that that is how he opened the speech. Absolutely. I mean, just the, the, the content of, of the speech, I... I, I think reaffirming the the commitment to the world with the additional twenty five billion dollars in financing for the World Bank, um, as well as having strong representation in the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, um, just reaffirming that commitment to to global prosperity and progress for for everyone. Absolutely, um, and kind of he brought this up while speaking about um, the. The World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. Another really important thing he talked about was like updating these global institutions, of updating the United States Security Council so that there's more permanent and non-permanent members to reflect the growing global community. Um, mm. Of updating practices practices in the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund in order to better support developing countries. I thought that was really really important also to talk about because of growing I, I feel frustration with the UN Security Council in particular especially due to the ongoing conflict in Ukraine and how we've kind of we've we've they've been gridlocked essentially they can't do anything because Russia has this veto power yeah. so for the US to bring that up and be like no this is something that we want to work on moving forward um that was especially interesting given the fact that we had the veto power we were instrumental in creating the united nations as it is so to say as the u.s the u.n isn't perfect but we want to work to help fix it mm-hmm. and address these systemic issues um by doing things like expanding the security council i thought was a really good move um especially because he's he's echoing um comments that our ambassador to the UN, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, made last week. Um, she kind of um, did like a little address talking about what the U.S.'s foreign policy goals are going to be moving forward, and that was another big part of what she spoke about. Um, so I, I actually really, really like it that this is something that the Biden administration is talking about, is addressing, because obviously it's it's not just people in Ukraine who grow frustrated with the lack of support from the UN Security Council that President Zelensky talked about in his address, but also maybe other developing nations or nations who are engaged in conflict who wish that the UN would do more, or other forms of conflict that we've seen or things that affect conflict. Um, like the UN um, Security Council, like the, the president rotates monthly, um, and the US was actually, I think, just president last month. Don't quote me on that, but it it was pretty recent. And the topic that he that the U.S. set for that month was discussing food in conflict zones, um, and how that plays into it. So I thought that was really interesting. Absolutely, I mean the 
I, th- I think that's a very interesting um, point to bring up with um, the United Nations in terms of their uh, like procedural reforms. Um, I, I was just kind of curious. And so the United Nations Security Council consists of five permanent members um, that and Catherine, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's going to be China, the Russian Federation, France, the United Kingdom, and the United States. In addition to the five permanent members, there's a rotation of 10 other member countries that come on to the the Security Council. And then there's also an appointed president of the Security Council. And with this latest, the meeting we saw yesterday, the nominated or the, the, the cycle was with the Albanian uh, Albania to be the president of the Security Council, and we saw that with the Albanian PM. Yeah, so this kind of cycle that you mentioned is it's actually um, based off of uh, your geographic region. So, like the UN breaks up kind of the world into these different sections. The United States is part of WIOG, uh, Western Western Europe, and other states, which really just kind of means Western Europe, Israel, because it can't be a part of Africa or Asia due to political reasons um canada and i i think maybe like australia and new zealand are in there i'm not 100 percent sure of the roster but it's like it's essentially developing or developed nations as the un calls them um and then there's also um eastern europe africa asia latin america like it's this whole thing um and out of each regional group excluding the p5 um they essentially a uh, campaign to be on the security council it's this huge thing that states will campaign oh vote for me for security council um then they get voted on okay. um depending on like each geographic region nominates or hmm. puts so many people on the council outside of the p5 and the p5 okay. were obviously determined essentially as the who, who won world war ii so it's, it's those states that had the power and China was kind of just thrown in at the last second to be like, look, it's not just all Europe and America. It's also China. Well, they um, did also fight back against the the Japanese who had invaded. Oh, yeah, totally. But it, it was specifically like for the purpose of saying, look, it's not just Europe and America. We also have China. Um, yeah, because I also did see Malta. Let's see, we saw Albania, Malta, Ghana. Um, and there were there were a few others that were um, on the uh, the Security Council. Um, when they were speaking yesterday when I was watching that video. And if I remember correctly, they serve two-year terms. You would be the expert on that. I I don't do Security Council for Metal UN. That's the one council I stay away from. But But. to your point with the the proposed reform of of potentially taking away that veto power, um, I thought that that's a very interesting idea. They don't want to take it away. They want... Mm -hmm to give it to more people so it's more like equitable like that's that's they would never get rid of the veto power i'm just point blank saying that that is not something that the u.s or any other p5 whatever campaign for because it is directly undermining their power but they would give it to more states so like the proposed states would be based off of kind of geographic stuff mm-hmm. would be south africa yeah for africa because that's like the strongest african state um mm-hmm. india for another Asian state and Brazil for Latin America. Okay. Um, adding more states so it's more kind of balanced. So it's not just US, Europe, China. It also includes other major world powers now. And then obviously adding more non permanent members to kind of give more of the world a voice in it. Obviously, this doesn't kind of do anything about 
the veto power as it stands now. Something I think that maybe could be added to that was if only like one person vetoes, like if they changed that, maybe it could be different. Like you have to have so many permanent members veto before it's a thing, but I don't think that's ever actually going to happen. Yeah, because like in in the U.S., if if the president vetoes, um, if they veto something, it can be over overridden by a certain majority vote. And I think that's what uh, Zelensky proposed um, as part of the as part of an idea for reform. And I think that's a great idea. I don't think that one person or one country should be able to. If all countries agree and one country says no, that doesn't mean that it's a bad. That, that doesn't mean that that one country that disagreed is correct. Um, and then, so I was kind of curious about this and looking back at precedent. Um, so you can see that there was an example with the United States, Ambassador Charles Yost uh, cast the first U.S. veto in 1970 over Rhodesia. And the last U.S. US cast a the last time the U.S. cast a lone vote in 1972 was to block a resolution that was to condemn is Israel for the war against Syria and Lebanon. And so if, if you if you're the one that's having if you're one that's doing a lone like a lone veto, Maybe you're you're standing by yourself for a reason, and yeah. so I, I don't uh, I don't agree with the the idea that one country can uh, undermine the progress that every country wants to see. Yeah, and that's that's a structural flaw within the UN that needs to be addressed, but that takes time and effort. And of course, um, I I feel like that specifically would relate to the UN Charter, um, and in order to make updates to the UN Charter, that's voted on by the Security Council. So you would either need all of the P5 to not veto, or to at least abstain from voting, which again would be very challenging because it means that they would be losing some of their power, which is in the nature of international politics and foreign affairs, that's not something you ever want to do. So it would be I think very hard to actually get everyone on board for that as much as I wish it could happen. And, but at the point where I think, and we saw this with Zelensky's speech, um, he, he voiced his frustration saying that, look, the United Nations is not doing what they were intended to do um, with these, these vetoes that prevent any kind of progress or, or work that's able to, to be done. And so at, at the point where the United Nations is falling short, other countries have to step up. And unfortunately, it's th through the loss of life and war. Yeah, because obviously, I think that's, that's the biggest thing that's kind of catching attention is conflict in Ukraine. Like you said, um, UN also, uh, the UN was involved, obviously, when Iraq invaded Kuwait. That is one of the few times the UN has actually authorized military access or military like to go in and deal with a conflict. Um, because specifically with that, there's, there's this idea of the domino theory. It's come up a lot in regards to Ukraine that if you let Russia take Ukraine, that's just going to be the first domino that falls. And then they're going to go after all of the other former Soviet states to ride a try to reclaim the glory of the Soviet Union. That also kind of tied into why specifically the United States went into Vietnam. We were worried that if um, Vietnam felt communism, yep. then the rest of Southeast Asia would go too. Or with Kuwait, they were afraid that if Iraq invaded Kuwait, then they would just go and invade Saudi Arabia too and start that. So it, it's, it's that fear of like this one thing triggering a whole series of events that sparks that. Um, 
And literally the only other time that the UN has actually authorized military action, not peacekeeping, because that is a whole separate other thing, peacekeeping is different than military action, was Korea, Korean War, and that literally only happened because they waited to vote until the, <laughs> the Chinese delegate was out of the room. So... Again, like you said, it's a structural flaw. Yeah. A structural flaw that, that something 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 like that could be the only way that you could pass a meaningful um a meaningful resolution. Yeah, and that's why I think Biden talking about that, not just about the UN, but also other multilateral institutions and upgrading and strengthening them and making them better to accommodate the new global world that we live in was really really good to hear like point yeah. blank it was great that he touched on this and i think he did it in a really good way um, absolutely I now, also, was, it, was it just me was it just me or was the the room not fully was the room not like to um like capacity during that speech um it maybe i'm trying to try to think but i remember watching one of the videos and it looked like there were some empty seats now I know that Rishi Sunak wasn't there. I know that Emmanuel Macron wasn't there. Um, so I know there were, there were quite a few, like um, like Putin wasn't there, Xi, Xi Jinping wasn't there. So I know there were quite a few heads of state that weren't present. Um, and I, I, I will just, say Xi Jinping and Putin never go. Like they, okay. they never ever attend these things. They just send their foreign ministers. Yeah. Um, but now, I know I know a bunch of them all met the G twenty. Um, was it last month? Um, but just want to just I thought I thought that was an interesting observation. Yeah, and I mean I don't know I I, I never expect all of the seats to be filled I guess as mm -hmm. long as one delegate from a country is there I don't think it's going to be a huge huge thing. Yeah. Um, I'm also going to be totally real with you I just listened to it I wasn't actually necessarily watching it because I was doing my dishes I was doing my dishes while <laughs> listening to Biden speak at the UN. Um, but I, I feel like it, it's not necessarily because like, this wasn't just Biden speaking to the UN and the members who were there. It was also Biden addressing the global community as a whole and also Americans to kind of give us a list of his foreign policy priorities moving forward. So then we can know, oh, OK, he's going to touch on this in the future because he spoke about it so that when he does do it in the future, we can kind of look back and see the progression of the progress. So it, it's people were there, they weren't there. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But yeah, that, that's very interesting because I mean, with the upcoming election in the U.S. next year, um, I mean, what's uh, basically he's he's trying to highlight everything that we we want to accomplish, everything that we have accomplished. And so, like you yeah. said, this was if not a speech for the United Nations, it was also a speech for everyone back in the United States. Another um, thing that kind of caught my eye with him mentioning going to vietnam going to like the g20 event is that mm -hmm. it's it's specifically instances where he is out of the country working where he is taking on the role of president in the full capacity because obviously a big thing that's being discussed in this election is the age of the people we elect into office so it was kind of him saying yeah sure i'm ancient whatever but i'm still capable of doing the job i'm still able to go to Vietnam with, you know, the huge time difference, but still hit the ground running and go and accomplish all of this work or go to the, the G20 event and accomplish all of this work, even if it's in a different time zone, because like 
in those instances you don't have time to like get take a beauty nap before you go out it's you are on the plane you get there and then you you do work so i that was another thing that i i feel like he was kind of trying to highlight was he, he didn't specifically say hey i'm old but he's still saying look at all of this work that i am hands-on doing as resident even even if it's out of the country so that was another big thing that i it was kind of an undercurrent but is also important to note regarding the speech is that it was it was very much of him saying i am capable of doing my job as president yeah definitely in addition to in addition to um like biden's speech i, I think also did you see anthony blinken's speech um representing the I, u.s i did not i heard about it though that was very good as well so if anything it, it also shows that the people that biden has working for him um are are um very capable so i mean anthony anthony blinken did a fantastic speech i think a much better job than like rex tiller could have done um back in the previous administration like anthony blinken's a very good statesman yeah and that's even um linda thomas greenfield i don't know if you ever heard of her speak she's amazing mm-hmm. too like that that is a woman who can captivate an audience and speaks yeah. very very well yeah um, and again absolutely. all of this is courtesy of the writers who write mm-hmm. their speeches for them because they yep. don't write them themselves they're busy doing the legislating and stuff so and they don't, they don't get writers. the credit they don't get the credit only the speaker gets the credit yeah but that, that their their job isn't necessarily to get their credit to the public as long as you can put it on your resume that you did this um, yeah by the way i wrote that speech <laughs> yeah but, by the way i was a writer for the white house t um but i mean and then so looking at other other um other people's speeches we saw sergey lavrov um we saw Zelensky, um we saw um i think representatives from ecuador um honduras um there, there were a few there were a few others but I think Zelensky's speech to the Security Council, as well as the General Assembly, I think that was very good. Um, I, I thought that was it was it was Re- Russia. The Russian Federation tried to pull a fast one before. Did you did you see did you see this? No. Oh well, it was it was um so before so as the Security Council was um starting to, starting their their meeting, um the the rotation with uh, the president of the security council being the uh, prime minister of albania he said we're going to get started and the first speaker is going to be um zelensky from ukraine um russia the russian federation butted in and said that we disagree we don't think that based off of the procedural the procedural um ways that the security council needs to run that zelensky or um he should be able to speak first and so they tried to really block him um, from speaking and remove him from the room. And they used that just by grasping at trying to to utilize like procedural issues. And the I think the the prime minister of Albania did a very good job in in um, in with his rebuttal and saying that this this was given out to all of you like in advance. You all knew this was going to happen. You should, if there was a procedural issue, you should have addressed it beforehand, not now. And then also he said there is precedent. He clearly articulated um, where the, in, in like the, like the, the code or the bylaws that this is allowed and um, it should proceed. But uh, Russia still kept on trying to um, uh, pursue this, 
this issue. And then also they started to say that they disagreed with the prime minister of Albania being the president of the security council and that he had like no business being there. Um, it, it was, it was rather interesting. And then ultimately concluded with the prime minister of Albania saying, look, if you don't want Zelensky to speak, you should just end the war and he won't be speaking. That, that's what he said. And, and there were no more comments from the Russian Federation after that. I mean, when eventually the Russian Federation had their turn to speak and it was Sergei Lavrov. And of course, he just continued on with the, the, the garbage that the United States and the, the evil West were the ones responsible for this war. And, uh, he just, he's just a, a mouthpiece for the, the, the corruption in, in Russia. It's, it's disgusting. To play devil's advocate for a second, he kind of has yeah, to be absolutely. that. Like, if if he wasn't doing that, Putin would. Oh yeah, definitely. Probably have another plane crash. Um, uh-huh. but, <laughs> oh, so actually, funny. Zelensky mentioned that too. He was yeah, like, but... you... "No, go ahead." No, well, actually, sorry, but Zelensky did mention that he was like, "You, you saw, you can see what uh, Putin's promises are. They're basically a, you can ask Prigozhin." Yeah, but. Um... For those interested, just in general, every single country will be addressing the UN this week. Obviously, some of the smaller ones aren't going to get as much attention as like the United States and Ukraine will, but every single country will be addressing um, the General Assembly this week. That's mm. kind of the whole point of this session is to let every country say their piece. Um, in regards to Russia's behavior at the Security Council, that's part of the course at this point. That's what he has to do because that is what is expected of him. Um, but he, like I said, he he has to behave that way or else he'll get in trouble back home. Um, and getting in trouble back in Russia is a little different than getting in trouble in the United States just for ah, the cruel and unusual punishment. Ah, you know? Um, but oh, it, it was um, very interesting. And then Zelensky and Sergei Lavrov were not in the room at the same time. Uh, I think that was intentional um, that they wouldn't have to, to be in the room. Uh, just yeah, they don't want to brawl on the UN floor. Yeah, to to keep decorum um, and some level of civility, um, but but still, like if you if you listen to the Lavrov speech, it was just it was all. It, I tried to listen to it objectively and listen to what he was actually saying, and he was bringing up basically saying that Russia was pushed into this kind of this this situation that they're in now, and they've been bullied and lied to. But the ultimate the ultimate fact is that they invaded Ukraine, and it wasn't to protect the Donbass, because if it was to protect the Donbass, they would have just invaded the Donbass, but they actually went to invade Kiev, the capital. They, they had took over Crimea. And so what they're saying, it, it, while they think it might be true, um, if, if they were to protect the Donbass, then why would they try to take over the whole country? Yeah, and I Onto think the, that. Oh, go ahead. Well, with the domino effect, like you said before, it was um, thinking that if Ukraine falls, then there's going to be other countries. But we've already seen the domino effect start because in 2011, I think, no, 2008, um, we saw the invasion into Georgia by Russia. In 2014, the annex, illegal annexation of of Crimea, as well as Donbass of, of the Donbass area. And and so the dominoes have already started to fall. Yeah, and obviously this this idea in relation to Ukraine isn't just concern about 
Russia invading other states. It's also regarding China and Taiwan or yeah. maybe um, India and China regarding that kind of area of disputed land or mm. even Israel and Palestine. It's, yep. it's all of these. If we let Russia take this, what other states are going to take that as the green light that they can just completely undermine international law, international sovereignty as we understand it um, and have since World War Two? the end of world war ii to just completely upend the, the world as we know it and that's that's why i also going back to biden's speech thought it was really really um like he he ended speaking about ukraine for a reason he opened with discussing about how the past does not define us and then and then kind of filled in the middle with uh the importance of international institutions of our of the inner in importance of us interacting uh, with other countries because he mentioned like we, we talked about the g20 summit the work that we're doing in the indo-pacific the work that we're doing with other latin america countries he listed all of these things that we are doing to work with other nations to tackle global issues um and then concluded on ukraine literally saying um that we remain committed to supporting ukraine um and obviously point blankly was like this is like no matter what happens this is not the go-ahead for any other country to do the same to have the same behavior and also called out china in his speech i don't remember if it was specifically in regards to ukraine um but he did speak about china and not i don't think necessarily china's aggression but our relationship with china um and how managing conflict or potential conflict is important Pulling up the transcript, he said that when it comes to China, I want to be clear and consistent. We seek to responsibly manage the competition between our countries so it does not tip into conflict. We are for de-risking, not decoupling with China. Um, So basically, he said that, like, look, we want to work together, not work against each other. Yeah, exactly. And that's really important. Like The Ukraine situation going on because we can't work with Russia, not while they are literally violating the UN charter and every other foundation of international law that has been built since 1945. It just, it can't be done. Um, specifically in regard to this, obviously we still, well, we, we still work with them on other issues or at least with Russian delegates on other issues. Um, but still the, the war in Ukraine is kind of this thing that always is lurking over your shoulder and these kinds of things. Um, so to end on Ukraine and saying that this is an investment, he literally says, to quote him, it's not only an investment in Ukraine's future, but in the future of every country that seeks a world governed by basic rules that apply equally to all nations and uphold the rights of every nation, no matter how big or small. Sovereignty, territorial integrity. They are fixed foundations of this noble body and universal human rights is its North Star. We cannot sacrifice either. And then kind of went into talking about the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and why it is important to defend human rights uh, and human rights and to prevent human rights abuses wherever they occur. And then specifically mentions uh, Xinjiang, Tehran, Darfur, or anywhere else. Like yep. He's directly kind of calling out these instances, which is a really kind of powerful way to close that speech. Absolutely. And then obviously, again, highlighting the we have to work together to do this. Because this isn't like as much as the United States likes to act unilaterally and has the power to kind of do so as its status as the world hegemon, we can't accomplish anything alone, especially in regards to things like 
climate change. Like mm-hmm. China produces two times more carbon emissions than the United States. That isn't to say that the United States should not be working to lower its carbon emissions, just that we cannot do it alone while China is producing double that or the carbon emissions that India produces or the EU or it's we're all tied together. We're in a global community because of how big globalization has gotten. We have to address problems together or else they will not be solved. And that's that's the whole purpose of the United Nations. Yeah. And that's that's why the idea of it is 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 fantastic. It's just there are some procedural um, issues that need to be resolved. Um, and and I, again, I, like no institution is going to be perfect. Correct. So and the UN was built out of the ashes of World War II. Like l- literally, this was we were in talks to create the UN as we were fighting World War II and looking to the League of Nations and everything that happened with that. This was obviously a way to maintain the victors of World War II's power and status in the international community, but also to prevent a World War III from happening because we had seen the damage that came from World War One and Two, and we didn't want that to happen again. Yeah, this was absolutely. the way that they thought would do it. Awesome. We should go ahead and wrap up from here. Okay. I think that was a really great talk. And again, I will link below the speech and transcript of it if anyone wants to listen. It's a really good speech. I definitely recommend it. Or to keep an eye out for the other speeches that we mentioned, like Anthony Blinken's, Zelensky's, the Russian Federation speeches. And again, like I said, every other country will also have a chance to speak the UN General Assembly. So if you're interested in some of those, I would definitely check them out. The UN should post all of them on their website. Um, If not, send them a strongly worded email. They will totally read it. but I, I think this is a great place to kind of wrap up. And from here, we should talk about our coloring book. Yeah. So if uh, to all of our listeners, if you enjoy the content that we produce, whether it's with this podcast or on our social media platforms, or also the programs that we have around the world, whether it's in Mexico, Ukraine, or Turkey, um, one of the best ways that you can support us is through purchasing our coloring book on Amazon. It's the exact same book that we send to these kids, and it's a great learning tool where you can draw and learn about these animals. So I urge you, please go and purchase that coloring book um, because that is one of the best ways to support us. Yeah, absolutely. And another way you can support us is by going to our shop, which we have up on our website now. You can find us at www.globaleducationconnection.org <laughs> to learn more about who we are, what we do, um, and how you can help us support us, like our shop. Um, thank you all so much for listening. This has been GEC Important Talks, hosted by the team at Global Education Connection, and we hope to have you all back next week. Bye.